it wasn't perfect. There's things to iron out, but Oklahoma's 48-14 to win over UCLA on Saturday night was mostly really smooth. Overall, it was the best game they've played thus far, and it was a good way to go into the bye week before Big 12 play starts in a couple of weeks. The offense continued to roll. UCLA's defense had actually played well enough for the Bruins to win in the first two weeks, and the Sooners' offense largely cut through them like Swiss cheese. Explosive plays seemingly happened every other play, and outside of some hiccups in the third quarter largely due to play calling, the unit was exemplary once again. The offensive line, the most scrutinized unit following last week's win over South Dakota, took a step forward this week. The impact of Marquise Hayes on the line is obvious in my opinion, and even Eric Swenson had a nice night, going against the best front the Sooners have seen thus far. And what is there to say about Jalen Hurts? The guy has simply been outstanding. He's not Baker, and he's not Kyler, but I never expected him to be. Hertz's job is to use his poise and athleticism to put the defense into a run-pass bind and distribute the ball to the best collection of skill talent in college football. Is the jury still out about whether or not that will work against Alabama and Clemson? Sure. But that most certainly does not denigrate what he's been so far in the first three weeks which is the most impactful player in college football. I also want to give a quick shout-out to Charleston Rambo. In the preseason, I tabbed Rambo as the -the under-the-radar most important player on the offense, and that is what has materialized thus far. Rambo has clearly established himself as the number two option behind C.D. Lamb. He's not just solid, he's a weapon. Rambo is a real good player and he's taken advantage of the single coverage thus far, and I think he's probably going to see it as the the season goes on as well. Moving over to the defense, I'm going to be largely positive. Now, I was frustrated along with everyone else in certain moments of the game. Everyone listening knows to what I'm referring to. There were too many chunk plays to an offense that hasn't been explosive whatsoever to this point, and there were too many missed tackles around the line of scrimmage. But you know what didn't happen last night that I'm absolutely ecstatic about? No garbage touchdowns. I am over the moon about that. And it largely came with the second and third teamers on the field. How many times has that happened in the last handful of years? We're seeing a willingness to build depth on the defensive side of the ball that we've just never seen in this program. And that includes the 2000s with Venables and Stoops at the helm. The defense is certainly not a brick wall right now, but what they're doing is fostering competition amongst the depth chart. This is why I'm confident that the defense will continue to improve over the course of the year. Guys are hungry to get their chance and make plays. Just look at Jaden Davis. Dude is an absolute player who has taken advantage of the opportunities he has gotten so far. Will there be bumps along the road? Absolutely. But these guys are going in the right direction. And I'm comfortable at this point in saying that the defensive line is a really good unit. Perhaps one of the best in the country. Jalen Redmond was a monster last night, and he's only going to get better. This is a guy who doesn't have a lot of experience playing football in general. All in all, a really good performance from Oklahoma. Still a lot of work to do, but this team appears to be willing to put that work in. 34-point wins on the road over Power 5 teams are not easy. They are not something that happens a lot, to be honest with you. And OU made it look really easy on Saturday night. I'm Grant Benson. This is West of Everest. He runs straight ahead, makes a move, gets the first down and a touchdown. Jalen Hurts from 30 yards, and Oklahoma strikes quickly. 
Jalen Hurts welcomes us into the latest edition of West of Everest. His 30-yard touchdown run capped an 89-yard opening drive for the Sooners Saturday at the Rose Bowl. Hurts rushed for 99 yards on that drive, which was the most rushing yards on an opening series by anybody in college football in the last 15 years. OU went on to beat the Bruins 48-14, and we're here to talk all about it. Hey, everybody, I am Lee Benson. You heard Grant at the top of the show with his opening take. We'll bring him back right after I tell you we are also bringing back three-word reviews. Grant and I forgot to ask for them after the first two games of the season. A listener on Facebook reminded us that three-word reviews are awesome, so we asked you all for three-word reviews after Saturday's game, and you all did not disappoint. By far the most feedback we've gotten ever. Stick around for the end of the show. We'll read the best and most creative submissions. Also, if you like West of Everest, the best way to show your support is to subscribe on iTunes and spread the word about this podcast. Leaving us a positive rating and or a review also helps us quite a bit within iTunes and helps boost the show so more people get exposed to this product. West of Everest is available on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Spotify. Also, you can reach out to us on the West of Everest Facebook page. Just search West of Everest on Facebook and you'll find us. That's where we post links to the show, show release date updates, and any other things that we find particularly interesting about Oklahoma football or college football. Plus, you can send us messages on the Facebook page as well. And Grant is on Twitter. He's at GrantBenson25. I'm at LeeBensonNews9. All right, with all the housekeeping stuff out of the way, we'll bring back Grant. Grant, what is going on this morning? Not much, Lee. Had an excellent day betting college football yesterday, hoping that it, uh, it continues with the NFL today pretty pumped such a great time of the year right now we get Saturday and Sunday back to back with football oh man why can't it just be like this every year what did you end up all year on Saturday what say that again record what was your record Saturday Uh, I was I was eight and two so the only ones I lost out on were uh, I took I took Bama to cover and of course uh, South Carolina had the crushing backdoor cover like the walk-off backdoor cover and then, um, uh, and then I actually took Syracuse to cover against Clemson, which, upon watching the game, seemed uh, really foolish. Syracuse is an awful football team. All right, so just uh, so those listening probably don't care a whole lot, but we'll probably reference this a lot throughout the season. Might as well bring it out there. Grant and I are in a contest, season-long contest that involves college football and the NFL, and you pick games against the spread. So you pick ten college games, ten NFL games, and Grant was eight and two in college games. That's really good. That was really good. I was not eight and two. I was four and six on Saturday. So not a great day for me. And so that's whenever we talk about that stuff, that's kind of what we're referencing. Uh, it's just a fun game we like to play. It keeps us engaged and interested in even more than we already would be in college football in the NFL. So there's that. So congratulations on a great day. Uh, I think you picked Oklahoma, though, on the I podcast did. to not cover. I d- right? Yeah, exactly. And then I actually did pick them to cover last night. So, yeah, we make our picks. Obviously, the podcast comes out Thursdays, and so we have some time to make some changes. So, okay, so you made some changes before the actual I did, yeah. I, I, so. it was, uh, I woke up yesterday with uh, – it was more intuition. It was just a feeling, and sometimes sometimes you, you bet on feeling, and I was just just thinking to myself, man, UCLA has been so bad. This is, a, this is kind of a veteran OU team. They got a lot of experience, especially on the offensive side of the ball. I don't know. I, I kind of, as we got closer to kickoff, I started to to think that they, they might take them to the woodshed a little bit. And that's what happened. All right, let's get into it. The offense was great. 
yet again. The defense had more positive moments than negative moments against what was a uh, a terrible, terrible offense. And hey, Callum Sutherland, Grant, he made a couple field goals. I'm sure you were pretty pumped about that. Never. I mean, good for him, but I hate field goals. Don't kick them. I hate them. Yeah, when Sutherland came out for that first field goal in the first half, what did you text me? Something like, I can't believe he's kicking a field goal or something like that. No, I just said, I absolutely hate the call to kick a field goal there. Absolutely hate it. <laughs> okay. Well, he did kick the field goal, and at least he was two for two in kicking field goals. But before we do anything, let's pitch it over to Lincoln Riley for some post-game thoughts after his team jumped out to a quick 17 to nothing lead. It was another fast start for Oklahoma. Yeah, we've come out strong in a few of them. Uh, you know, we played good team football in the early in games. You know, we've gotten stops defensively. Uh, we, we've done what we need to do on special teams. We've, we've been able to move the ball some offensively. And so you're, we're playing good team football, and it showed up then. And, and we were able to sustain it a little bit longer tonight. Still not anywhere where we need to be, but there was it's steps. It's, it's baby steps, uh, but it's steps in the right direction. We just got to keep taking those and be mature enough as a team to continue to handle that because we're – we do some good things, but we are still so far away from where we think we can be. And that's the message, the whole steps message, and then there's still a long ways to go with this Oklahoma team, which it's not a surprising message. We've heard this all throughout the summer, all throughout the preseason and the first couple of games. It is, though, I think good to hear it over and over again from Lincoln Riley, and also Jalen Hurts always talks about that. Grant, do you have anything on uh, Lincoln Riley's kind of general breakdown of the game? I mean, I agree with him when he says – they got a, I mean, they, they definitely have a way to go, and they're not as good as they can be. Really, I mean, they, this, uh, this team really has flashed a ceiling that we haven't seen in a while. And I know that they started off well on defense last season, but uh, there's just kind of a different feeling with this team. And I think a lot of it has to do with the, the leadership of Jalen Hurts. And I had said this in the past that I, I think Jalen Hurts, the mentality that he brings, just being at Alabama for three years and seeing how they how they operate and how they do things, this might be exactly what this program needs at this point in time, which is why I just I, week by week the 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 signing of Jalen Hurts and, and college football free agency is is just is looking better and better every week. And of course, I mean I'm not breaking any news there. The guy's been the best player in college football through the first three weeks of the season. Yeah, I think you have made a good point in your opening take. He's been the most impactful player in college football. He's yeah. done incredibly well. And, and impactful we'll, is, is is probably the better term, yeah. Because I'm just not so sure that if if this was Tanner Mordecai starting, he would have had the same kind of impact as Jalen Hurts through the first three games. Definitely not. And the, easy, the easy thing you can point to is just the running ability. I don't think Tanner Mordecai has that. and Not a, a lot of quarterbacks in college football have that. It's basically Jalen Hurts, Sam Ellinger, and there's probably maybe one or two that have their kind of big body guys that can run, but I, I'm not thinking of them right now and certainly aren't, aren't as good of a passer as Jalen Hurts can be too. Uh, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't put Ellinger anywhere close on the same plane as Hurts running the football. They're not really comparable at all in that regard. Um, although, I, I mean, I, I do think Ellinger is a better drop-back passer at, at this point in time. You don't think Ellinger and Hurts are close when it comes to running the ball? Oh, my God, no. Jalen Hurts is an elite runner of the football. Sam Ellinger is good at picking up three or four yards on third down. I mean, I guess it's just different. They don't they don't scheme as many runs for Ellinger. Sam like Ellinger can't on you know the very first play of the game. Sam Ellinger can't do that, like 
ever. He's not he's not athletically capable of doing that. Yeah, I guess. I I, I guess in terms of those runs, I, I, just, I was thinking more in terms of just picking up the tough yardage and things like and basically not being able to be tackled. Like, it's tough to tackle Sam Ellinger. He doesn't Elling, go down easy. Yeah, Ellinger is good at picking up tough yardage, but he is not an explosive runner by any stretch of the imagination. What we've seen from Jalen Hurts so far is explosion in his running game. I mean, he's got... He's already got like how many like thirty plus yard runs this season. Put it this way, I think you put Sam Ellinger in Oklahoma's offense with Lincoln Riley, and I bet he'd have a lot more of those type of runs. I just don't think Texas's offense has those. Texas's offense is not. It's just I don't know. I know you think it's an elite unit. I haven't seen their game against Rice, but it still doesn't. It's not doesn't do a whole lot for me. It just doesn't do a whole lot for me. Texas, especially when it comes to the quarterback run game. Texas right now has flashed uh, a really good passing offense. I I still think. They're they're gonna struggle to run the ball this year against against better fronts, um, like they did against LSU. But I mean, they're absolutely one of the best throwing teams in the country. Sam Ellinger has a very very good grasp of of what that offense wants to do. He's a good drop back passer. I, I like and okay. I just we'll, I we'll we'll talk about that later. There's no need to get into this right now because people want to hear us talk about Oklahoma, and we'll save the offense talk for later. Even though we just talked about Jalen Hurts for like five minutes. Because uh, I think, once again, the most interesting part about Oklahoma is the defense. And that's where I want to begin our in-depth post-UCLA discussion. And I'm going to tee this up for you a little bit. I know you talked about it a bit in the opening take, but I'll give you a second crack at it here. You know, we both expected the defense to struggle at times in that game against UCLA. And we figured that UCLA would get some big plays, get some explosive plays. And then we'd be back here today on this podcast kind of shaking our heads a little bit and saying, man, what is going on? Uh, is that how you saw this game kind of play out for the defense of Oklahoma? It's not necessarily – like. Yeah, there were those moments, but then at the same time, I thought there were times where they reacted really well to those moments. They didn't wilt like they had in the past, and um, like I had mentioned in the opening take, I'm just so happy that UCLA did not score in the fourth quarter when the game was over. That's all, I mean, that's a huge win. UCLA was still playing their ones, and OU was playing their twos and threes, and they didn't score. I'm really happy about that. Yeah, I mean, the first two series of the game... Oklahoma forced punts. One of them was a three and out. I mean, back to back, starting the game, forcing again, forcing two punts and not giving up early touchdowns, and that allowed the Oklahoma offense, who took the ball first, to score, kick a field goal, and then score another touchdown, and boom, you're up seventeen nothing. And then they go on that nine play, seventy five yard drive, and they do give up that touchdown pass to make it seventeen to seven. And yeah, that's what it was like. Okay, this is really annoying. But then after that. They bounced back. They forced a punt the next series. They got an interception the next series before halftime. And so, really, there was one bad drive in the first half. And then there was one bad drive in the second half, which lasted the entire or the, the you know, half of the third quarter coming out. So, really, only two bad drives for Oklahoma's defense. Yet, after watching the game initially, I came away thinking, man, like that just wasn't. It played out kind of the way I thought it would. Granted, UCLA only scored 14. I thought UCLA would score another touchdown. Uh, they missed a field goal, so they almost had 17. But upon rewatching the game, and I know you haven't had a chance to full, fully rewatch it like I have, but upon rewatching it and taking a lot of notes, yeah, I came away mostly happy, again, with the defense. They allowed 4.9 yards per play, which is the best Oklahoma's defense has done so far this year in two games against South Dakota and Houston. But also 4.9 yards per play is more than a yard. The, 
is more than a yard more than UCLA has averaged this year, which is about 3.7 yards per play. So UCLA did have, I'm not sure if technically it was their best offensive game. I haven't done those numbers, but you know they got some, some chunk plays against Oklahoma, and that was troubling, especially a couple of times whenever they were able to convert. One third and long they were able to convert. That was not great. And then after a big sack in the second half they were able to pick up a huge chunk explosive play to get a first down I think that was like a 30 or 40 yard gain after the I believe it was Nick Benito's sack so those were the kind of plays which every Sooner fan I'm sure is with me that was like man that looked like last year that was not great so there are some as you like to say some glitches still but overall I came away happier with the defense than I actually thought I would be going into the game yeah, I, I was too. I, I thought, and of course, those their two scoring drives, especially the one that that took up, you know, half of the third quarter, drove me absolutely insane. Just along with everyone else, because there were multiple times where they should have gotten off the field and they didn't. What what I really like is that there has been plenty of drives like that over the last two or three seasons, and it seems like after those drives the opposing offense is just in a rhythm and they keep going up and down the field. And that didn't happen this time around. They bowed their necks and they got off the field every single time. And, uh, and yeah, you, you bring up their missed field goal. And by the way, what is Chip Kelly doing kicking a field goal there? What an absolute moronic call. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I think maybe he was, uh, maybe he had UCLA plus the points and he was just trying to chip into that lead a little bit. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense to me, but I doubt uh, that. But yeah, yeah, sure. And then, and then, of course, there's yeah, there's plenty of glitches. For instance, um, I think once we get to Big Twelve play, we're going to see those safeties tested a whole lot. I think teams are going to go after them quite a bit. And you saw UCLA kind of kind of had some success thrown to their big tight ends down the seam. Um, and so we're we're going to see I think a lot of that once we get into Big Twelve play. But geez, man, that defensive front is really good they're real good up front and they're deep too you know what let's uh let's talk about that then let's go over that a bit because I want to talk about personnel and we can kind of let's start with the front because we're seeing a lot of a lot of rotation we're seeing a lot of Neville Gallimore we're seeing a lot of Jalen Redmond we're seeing a lot of Laurent Stokes we're seeing all of these guys they're mixing it in a lot of these players Ronnie Perkins it seems like is playing a lot more then let's say like a Marcus Stripling. Stripling hasn't really been mixed in as much as I as, as he was. I think. Ooh, Houston. he flashed last night though. He flashed. I really okay. I didn't notice him. So wh- where did he flash to you? Because I honestly I I didn't notice him at all. There was a play where he got his helmet knocked off, where he split like a triple team, and okay, used yeah, his hands really play. violently to. Yeah, I don't. He he didn't play last night as much as he did in the first two games. But when he was out there, I thought he did a, a good job. Okay. But if, but nobody flashed as much as Jalen Redmond did. Uh, he was he was real good last night. Yeah, I got that sack. Uh, he was just throwing offensive linemen to the side. I mean, he's a guy that uh, he's a huge dude, but he's a player that we all thought, again, was going to play kind of on the edge or maybe even as the rush linebacker spot. Never even thought that he was a player that would be able to play inside. And here he is playing inside. And, you know, Alex Grinch has shown that he is pretty good at developing somewhat undersized interior linemen. And we, the one we always bring up is Hercules Mata'afa. And Jalen Redmond's bigger than Hercules Mata'afa. And so you got a guy that's maybe as quick as Mata'afa was and definitely bigger and stronger. And he's just shedding interior offensive linemen and even tackles and making it 
really difficult for opposing quarterbacks. Uh, so, yeah, he's... Yeah. He's just scratching the surface, too. Like, oh, yeah. I, I, I think, especially on the defensive line, especially on the interior, technique is a big deal, and it takes a lot of reps. And the fact that this guy can step in, did he start playing football like his junior year of high school or something like yeah. that? Yeah, yeah. Um, the sky's the limit for this guy. So much potential, and he's he's definitely flashing what we were so excited about in the offseason. This is why this is why the offseason was this was basically the Jalen Redmond podcast, and he's he's showing why we were so excited about it. And of course, he needs to be he needs to be more consistent, and he needs to put more more of those good plays on tape. But man, he's just going to keep gaining confidence. He's going to keep playing better. He's going to keep improving. And um, over the course of the season, you know, by the time we get to game 11, game 12, that's when you hope that he's a consistent dominant force on the interior of that defensive line, along with Gallimore, who I think has just continued to be really good as well. And also we want to also, uh, we always want to be held accountable. And I've said it before, I'll say it again. I was 100% wrong about Jalen Redmond and I couldn't be more happy about it. I had a thought that he would never play again in this program because of the blood clot issue. Then I learned a lot more about it and got information from listeners of this podcast. Even a doctor gave us information. I learned more about it, read more about it, started to feel more and more positive about it. And here we are going into the bye week and Redmond's been uh, an impact player for Oklahoma so far. And he looks incredibly good. And like you said, he's only going to get better. So again, could not be happier that I was dead wrong about Jalen Redmond and his future with Oklahoma back in the summer. That's awesome. Can I Another also guy, bring up? Uh, oh, sorry. Go ahead, Lee. No, I was going to switch it over to a different player that plays that spot. I mean, LaRon Stokes, first drive of the game. I mean, what a incredible job getting into that A gap and taking out not one but two guys and blowing up that play on second down to create a create a third and long. I think I tweeted out at the time. That's just a play that we just didn't see at all last season with a interior. I think maybe Neville Gallimore maybe once or twice did that just. Uh, kind of by accident in a way because he's Bledsoe so physically would do that dominating every now and then too. But it, you know, that's not what Oklahoma was trying to do up front in the Mike Stoops and Ruffin McNeil defense. So it just didn't happen a whole lot. And that's what Alex Grinch wants from his, his defensive lineman. So it's just nice to see that. Uh, and it, and it, it's showcasing how talented and athletic guys like Laron Stokes and Jalen Redmond are and also Neville Gallimore. So you can go on what you're going to say before I uh, kept going on. Yeah, I was actually going to move on from the defensive line if you... Uh, yeah, that's fine. In, unless you have something else to say. But uh, the next thing I wanted to say is I think... Um, man, uh, Lee, I, I think OU's got a pretty good trio of corners, to be honest with you. The corners up to this point in time have been a strength of this team. The corners have been good. All right, and let's of, pause and, on the corners, though, because I want to go from each level of the defense up to okay. the secondary because I think the secondary has its own little kind of talking point at this point. So in the rundown here that you're looking at, I just wanted to talk about defensive personnel, who's out there playing. And I think that's useful because we're seeing and through three games, there's a lot of players that had that had or have ors on the initial depth chart or were solid backups, solid twos on the depth chart, uh, rotating and getting a lot of playing time out there, Grant. And the first couple of levels of defense. We already talked about Jalen Redmond and Laron Stokes. They're getting a lot of playing time. You got Ryan Jones, Deshaun White. They're rotating a lot at linebacker. You got John Michael Terry and Nick Benito playing quite a bit. Mostly John Michael Terry, but we saw more Benito against UCLA. You got, and then uh, inside, you know, behind Neville Gallimore, you got Famatahu and Overton playing quite a bit as well. And then at the linebacker spot, too, throwing Brian Mead, David Obwebu, David Marcus Stripling as well. 
uh, who's obviously behind uh, Ronnie Perkins. Those guys are getting sprinkled in as well. That's just the first two levels of the defense. So I think it's interesting that a lot of these guys are playing. And I know that you mentioned that a little bit in your opening take about the depth that's being developed there. So I'll pause before I get to the secondary. If you want to mention any of those those front, let's say, front seven position players, do you like that you're seeing I, – I know that you do like it, but if you want to expand more on it, the fact that there's all this depth being developed. Again, we didn't see this the last two years that I've been paying way close attention, and you mentioned that we haven't really seen it since ever. Bob Stoops. I, ever. I don't know yeah, if I we've mean, really I, ever I'm seen it. I'm kind of racking my brain, and yeah, I don't know if I have seen it either. And, you know, I, it's we got to grade it a little bit on a curve. You know, in the 2000s, totally different era of football at, at this point in time. Uh, still facing a lot of, like, eye formation and pro-style stuff at that point. So you're not, you're not dealing with the tempo and the amount of plays in that era as well. Um, but back to just the depth that's being um, established here, this does wonders for competition. And um, when guys get out there, they know they have their chance and they have to, they have to perform. It, it, it creates a sense of urgency up and down the depth chart. And that is how competition breeds success. And so I, I think it's only a good thing that not only, especially in this game, because we, we did see in the first two games um, when the twos and threes came in, especially against Houston, the team started, uh, the opposing often started to move the ball a little better, started ripping up chunk plays. The twos and threes were a lot more steady in this game. And going forward, that is going to pay dividends. Because I, I think this team just needs to keep building and building on on uh, on what they do well week to week, and then by the end of the season, this might be a, a pretty decent unit, um, and that's that's what the goal needs to be right now. And that's only easier when you got when you got thirty guys who can play. That's huge. And what else is huge too is you think back to the spring, whenever we first talked to Alex Grinch, and we kind of got an idea of this defense and who was all out there and the depth of the defense. It was mainly in the secondary, but it, across the board, you could tell Alex Grinch was not happy with depth really anywhere. And he was not sure who was going to be playing. And even going into fall camp, uh, he always talked about getting the best 11 out there and finding 22 guys and getting backups. And the whole thought was, at least for me, was, man, I this depth I, at linebacker, I'm not sure if there's any depth there. I thought there might be okay depth in the secondary, but now it's kind of proving that I don't know about that. And we were always kind of excited about the defensive line and the depth there, which has kind of played out the way we kind of thought it would. But anyways, point being, Grinch was kind of uneasy about it. And now in actual games through three weeks, we're seeing Grinch show confidence in so many different players and just throwing guys out there. I mean, even guys like Brian Mead, you know, three or four series into the game, taking Kenneth Murray off the field. Hey, Brian Mead, go out there. We it's your chance here. Go out there and show me what you got. I mean, that means a lot to me, I think. It shows that Grinch is, like like you said, it's breeding competition, and he's giving these guys a shot. And they're sprinkling people in here and there throughout the game. There's obviously set ones, but, man, he's not afraid to put a quote-unquote two out there with the ones here and there, or a couple guys out there, and I think that's an awesome sign. That there shows me that, that Grinch is, again, he's trying to breed competition, and he's, he's showing trust in his guys. And, you know, ever since Alex Grinch was hired, he has been preaching the mentality of his defense. And, man, he wasn't blowing smoke up our rear ends. He absolutely believes it, and he's putting, into, putting it into practice. And it's, it's kind of fun to watch. Like, we see I, – I see Ryan Jones out there yesterday coming in for Deshaun White, and Ryan Jones, he had that interception. 
And when he was out there, he looked pretty good. And then you see someone like Brian Asamoah get his first kind of real playing time of the season. And mm-hmm. he, he gets the sack. And, man, he closed really quickly on that sack. He kind of flashed some explosion there. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. I mean, that's, and that was that's against great Dorian to see. I mean, that was against a starting quarterback. That was against DTR, even though, yeah. let's be real, he's he maybe shouldn't be starting for much longer. He's just, he's, I don't know how much it is the offense, how much, is it, anyways, I'm digressing. We, no need to get into that right now. But yeah, Asamoah, yeah, exactly. I don't know if that was a blitz, a delayed blitz, or if he it was, was a delayed DTR blitz. or what. But yeah, man. yeah, I suppose he could have been spying him, but man, he closed on that really quickly. And so I'm, I'm just excited. And that's, the, the front seven up to this point looks, I mean, it looks good. I mean, it's a strength of the defense. They do a pretty good job. And so, um, and I think it's just, it's only going to get better. So I'm, I'm really happy what I've seen out of the front seven. That doesn't mean there aren't glitches. That doesn't mean they're, they're perfect at all times. Um, and we are grading a little bit, a bit on a curve from what we've seen the last couple years, but I'm feeling pretty good. All right. So let's transition out of the secondary. Cause you wanted to talk about the corners. You brought up the cornerbacks about, I don't know, five ish minutes ago. And so here's what I want to say about it. Then, you know, all the depth, all the sprinkling in of all these different players in the front seven or the first two levels of the defense, however you want to describe it. Then you go to the secondary, and it looks like the depth, to me, is not quite as strong. Because, again, it looks like Oklahoma, like you mentioned, has three corners. They got Parnell Motley, Trey Brown, and Jaden Davis. And it's pretty clear that Davis has overtaken Jordan Parker as the third cornerback. Parker didn't see a snap until the very end of the UCLA game. And also, too, at nickel... You got Brendan Radley Hiles. It looks like he's separated from Chance Sylvie because Sylvie didn't see a snap until the very end of the game either. So it looks like you're pretty much set in the secondary and you mix in Jaden Davis here and there with Parnell Motley and Trey Brown. And that's it. You go to the safety positions with Patrick Fields and DTY. They're still they're still the main safeties, although we did see Justin Broyles get a little bit of playing time in the second half against UCLA, and he made at least one very nice play. So that's the secondary. We can talk a little bit more in depth about it, but I think at corner, I agree. Corner, Oklahoma right now is is pretty strong with three. Safety, though, man, it. I'm concerned about the safeties as uh, I'm more concerned now than I was after the first two games. I think it really showed itself, especially covering the tight end, which we can get into a little bit. And it's not easy covering the tight end whenever you're playing 10, 12 yards deep and you're essentially playing a, a quarter's coverage and you're trying to get a hit on the tight end and you don't know where he's going to go. But, man, it it looked like an easy first down every single time they targeted the tight end of that game. And Patrick Fields, to me, had a rough night. He didn't look very great. Uh, DTR, uh, I'm sorry, DTY didn't notice him a whole lot in that game. But uh, I, I did notice when, again, Broyles came in late in the game, he was keying in on the tight end, and he made that nice play on fourth down to get a turnover on downs because UCLA went back to its bread and butter. Let's go to the tight end up the seam, and Justin Broyles came into the game, and you could tell that he was probably told, listen, man, they're killing us in the tight end. Get in there. And he, he locked onto the tight end, came up, and knocked the ball away, got a PBU. So that was a nice play by him late in the game. But uh, as far as the safeties go, I, I'm with you. I am concerned, especially when we get into better passing offenses. Yeah, the the safeties are absolutely a work in progress, and they got to get a lot better. And, you know, yeah, it, it's it's slightly concerning that that seems to be the position where there is the least amount of rotation. Um, because I, I, don't, I don't think I saw Robert Barnes. I did at the end of the game. Robert Barnes played at the end of the game. 
But um, yeah, man, it was uh, pretty much whenever whenever UCLA was getting chunk plays, it was on the safeties. And um, and you know, let's let's give them a bit of credit. DTR did make some nice throws. I think DTR probably had his nicest throws of the entire season, all in this game. Um, so I will give him credit for that. And the the Asiasi guy for UCLA, they need to build their offense around him. That guy is a matchup nightmare. And so, so you were I'm, half right about the guy that would scare you. You mentioned it would be a tight end. You be just the dulcet guy, tight end. but yeah, I got it wrong. Yeah, Asiasi had a had a pretty good game against San Diego State, and by pretty good, it's by the standards of UCLA up to that point, which is not that great. But he led the team in receptions, and so yeah, I mean, just I'm looking at the I charted every single drive and. Man, it's just every time they went to the tight end, I, I, in all caps, I have, after the second time, OU is having issues covering the tight end. He's wide open down the seam. Let's see. Later in the, the drive, yeah, just – sorry, I guess it was just one time I had that. So I, I oversold that. But, but uh, yeah, it, it was not great. Oh, uh, the first touchdown by UCLA, DTR. Really nice throw. I mean, not a whole lot that uh, I believe it was Patrick Fields could do about that throw, but if he would have just looked to his right, it would have been a lot easier because the tight end up the seam was wide open and didn't have anybody within 20 yards of him. So it was a problem on that play. It's just DTR went to somebody else, and it still worked out for him. So that's uh, that's a hole in Oklahoma's defense right now that needs to be corrected. And you know what? I, I think Alex Grinch understands that, and we'll see what, what kind of adjustments will be made. And um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm not going to lie and say that doesn't concern me as we go into Big 12 play because, I mean, that's what the Big 12 is all about, identifying the weaknesses on the other team, on the other team's defense, and then you just pick at it like a scab until they adjust. That's what the Big 12 is all about. Um, so I think, you know, teams with good offenses are going to recognize that, and they're going to attack Patrick Field's and DTY in coverage a lot, I think, starting a couple weeks. But uh, we'll see. I don't know. And um, I'm also really curious to see how, uh, basically just how Grinch's scheme translates to the, uh, to the Big 12. Because you do see a lot of teams now transition to that tight front with, uh, with the dime package that Iowa State sort of is known for the last few years. And that makes it a little easier to cover the guys in the slot. And uh I'm curious as to whether or not over the course of Big 12 play, Alex Grinch is going to have to adjust a little bit and not play as much nickel. And just one more piece of evidence to drive home that Oklahoma had tough, a tough time covering the tight ends, even on a great play where Oklahoma had that Jalen Redmond sack where he just threw the left guard away like a bad habit. The tight end was wide open down the seam, and I think it was, uh, was it Brock Heward, the, the color guy in the game, I, th- I think maybe, or... I, Whoever the color guy was, I could be way off on that, but he pointed it out when they came back from commercial that, hey, uh, this this guy's wide open and DTR just didn't have enough time to to see him because Jalen Redmond just threw that guard away and, and put too much pressure on him. So even but also, whatever, yeah, but, sorry but also it. at the same time, Jalen Redmond getting to DTR really quickly on that play, that counts. Oh, I mean, yeah, that, it does count. I'm just saying, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, yeah, if that doesn't happen, maybe he does find the tight end and it's a touchdown. Sure, so yeah, I, sure. Uh, so, yeah, I just wanted to provide, yeah, that, that covering the tight end did not go well on uh, on Saturday night. So, Grant, more defensive talk. Two more turnovers forced. So, Trey Brown gets his first career interception, and then you mentioned that Ryan Jones had that late interception. Good for Trey Brown. It was uh, a play. I believe it was a third down play. I know I, I charted this play. I mean, I charted everything. Hold on. Let me, let me get to it. Here we go. It was third and three. 
And this was one of the plays where everybody across the board was up on the line of scrimmage, pressing the receivers. Trey Brown, Parnell Motley, Buki was up there. Oh, I mean, Brendan Radley-Hiles. That's right. I am not yet calling him Buki. I still need to see more, but Brendan Radley-Hiles is – he kind of disappeared a little bit, didn't really ask much for him against UCLA. But uh, we'll see when Big 12 play starts. We'll see if he can flash a little bit. Also, John Michael Terry up on the line on that play, third and three. It was a blitz by Oklahoma. Kenneth Murray, Ryan Jones both blitzed. DTR rolled out to his right, and then Trey Brown stepped in, made the pick. And at the snap, Trey Brown did a nice job getting a nice little jam on the wide receiver. And then he goes out and makes a play. So well done, Trey Brown. That set up the C.D. Lamb touchdown. So Oklahoma got points off turnovers. Very nice. Any comments um, on that? Oh, yeah. Um, I don't know. I thought uh, I, I, I sort of agree with you. Of course, Buki wasn't as impactful as he was last week. Um, but I saw some improvement from him. I saw him getting his nose in there as the extra man in the box a few times and actually squaring some guys up and making some good form tackles. And I like to see that. I, I just kind of want to. There's a reason he's separated. I think he's he's definitely he's definitely been you know one of the more consistent guys on the defense so far this season. We we haven't really seen any terrible busts or anything from him, outside of a couple of missed tackles. There's one in particular I can think of in this game where he went low and um, he missed, and uh, I think Felton got around the edge because he missed. But other than that, I think Buki's been really solid this year. He hasn't been spectacular by any stretch of the imagination, but he's been solid. I don't know if it's the same one because there was one on Joshua Kelly where he was running and he just kind of dove at Kelly's legs and Kelly okay, that's just kind of was like, uh, "Are you serious?" and he just like went around him. And that's the one I'm picked- thinking of. Then I was I mistakenly thought it was Felton. Yeah, and he just kind of like did like a tried to do like a barrel roll tackle and it just it it failed. But you know whatever it happens. Uh, all right, so. Again, five turnovers now total for Oklahoma. They had 11 last year through three games. Oklahoma was almost halfway through the last year total. Obviously a good sign. Uh, the last things I think we need to talk about, too, is just a couple of chunk plays and a couple of the plays that, man, didn't didn't some of the, like, the third and 21 that they gave up 20 yards and then they got it on fourth down, didn't that bring you back to the Cotton Bowl last year? Yeah, that me. really – and it was almost like an identical play, too. That really bugged me. That That – that was not good. That was the worst moment, I think, of the uh, for the defense in the game. Well, that and then the Nick Benito sack followed up by like the fifty-yard run. Yeah, see, I'm not as I'm not as concerned about that because that type of run is exactly what you get sometimes playing this scheme. It was well blocked up, and yeah, I, there wasn't much Oklahoma could do with it. So that's a good point. I'll give you that. And so that's that, and that's the stuff that. You know, over the years when we've been saying just be aggressive, be aggressive. If you get beat every now and then, it's okay. That's the that's the exact type of play we're talking about when you get beat, and that's okay. They they got the forty or forty five yards on that play uh, because of over aggression. And I'm you know, in two thousand nineteen, based off of the the defense that we've seen, I'm I'm okay with that from time to time, especially when you're up by thirty points. I think what just made it stand out more, obviously, is that they had a huge play before that, and so it was second and long, and so it just it basically negated a great play by Nick Benito. Yeah, timing also, wasn't great. Was, uh, I think Ronnie Perkins also got some pressure on that before the sack. So, yeah, Lincoln Riley, after the game, I don't have the sound, but just kind of his thoughts on the, the big plays. He says that, you know, he said that, you know, defensively, you're going to give up plays. It's just, it's how you respond to it. He says that he thought, oh, you responded a lot versus UCLA, and the team has done a good job of cultivating that mentality of just responding to it. Um, 
overall, he said that he thought that Oklahoma uh, harassed the quarterback pretty well. He doesn't think that DTR got very comfortable. And uh, he said, obviously, the turnovers and the fourth down stop was huge. So that's Lincoln Riley on the turnovers. Uh, before we move on to the offense, Grant, our last podcast, we talked about how we don't really trust this defense yet. Did the defense help or hurt itself on Saturday in your eyes? I thought they helped themselves because I thought they, you know, they, they took a step forward. And I think that's, that's all we can, we can ask for right now. They're not going to be a dominating unit. I just, I, there's, there's, there's tons of things that they've needed to work on throughout the years. And I'm, gonna, I'm just going to take the good in this game, which is when they did get punched in the mouth and when they did give up big plays in this game, they did not wilt. And that the same cannot be said for the last few years. And I'm, I'm going to take that. I'm going to put that in my bag and run with it. Um, does that mean that they're going to be amazing in two weeks against Texas Tech? No, of course not. But they took a step, and we'll see if they can build on it. All right, well said. I also agree. I think the defense helped itself, especially upon a rewatch. I don't know if, if you have time to go back and rewatch it. I think you'll – it sounds like you're, you're feeling pretty positive about it. But upon watching it again, I mean, really two bad drives by the defense, and I think UCLA might have had the ball – 10 or 11 times so not bad not bad at all forced a couple turnovers turnover on downs and uh again ucla gained more yards per play than i would have liked and and put together a little more explosive plays than i would have liked but we kind of expected that but uh, i think in the years past especially a desperate team like that with a bad offense we probably would have seen even more explosive plays and more plays that got us just super frustrated and uh like Riley said, like you said, they got punched in the mouth a couple times and they didn't give up another touchdown drive after that. They bounced back, got off the field. So there wasn't any back-to-back scoring plays in that game against UCLA. And, and going into the bye week, I think the defense should feel pretty good about itself, but also knowing that there's still a lot of work to do. Of course. All and right. also, just I just want to point out one more time, just to emphasize it, the defensive line constantly abused UCLA's front. They had no chance the entire game. Okay. To the offense and let's start here with the offensive line because Marquise Hayes didn't play last week he played against UCLA he started at left guard RJ Proctor I didn't notice him until late in the game spelling Marquise Hayes later on uh, Bill Biedenbo was visibly upset with the offensive line last week he played some of his sound on the podcast leading up to this game it sounds like uh, the offensive line unit stepped it up against UCLA at least in the eyes of Lincoln Riley I thought they played well. I uh, thought they responded. You know, they got challenged pretty hard this week. Uh, you know, I thought they were aggressive, you know, because, I mean, UCLA's got a big front. I mean, that's they are they are a big physical front. They're, I don't know that we'll play a bigger front the rest of the season. And uh, so to do some of the things we did in the run game against them, you know, was really good. I thought we did a pretty good job of pass protection the majority of the night. Um, had a couple of penalties, but they weren't. I think they were... It certainly looked like to me just more aggressive when you're playing hard and playing the style we do. You're going to have a couple type penalties as opposed to just dumb ones. Um, so I uh, took some steps, uh, did a good job, and then I thought our some of our young guys, especially Ian McIver coming in there, did some really nice things as well. All right, so it sounds like the offensive line, at least according to Riley, he's, he was happy with it. Uh, no word on how Bill Biedenboe feels, but Grant, your assessment of the offensive line, did you uh, do you agree with Lincoln Riley? Do you think that they played pretty well against a, a pretty good pretty big front as Riley described at UCLA yeah I thought they played a lot better than they did last week they were just uh there wasn't as much pressure they were winning a lot more one-on-one battles there were probably a little too many uh you know too many of the running backs getting hit in the backfield for my liking 
But now that I think about it, that was pretty similar against UCLA, uh, against UCLA last season. They did a pretty good job of attacking the counter. Um, but they, they ran the ball better in this game than they did last year, I think. So, And a lot of that had to do with Jalen Hurts. Um, but the thing that really that I liked the most, Lee, was um, the left side of that line looked a lot more solidified with Marquise Hayes there. And you know what? I didn't notice Eric Swenson at all. And for an offensive lineman, that's really good. I'll take it. Yeah, I believe Riley mentioned that he thought that was Swinson's best game so far this year. For sure, and that, for sure. And, uh, and speaking of that left tackle spot, Riley was asked about you know Swinson, R.J. Proctor, and we saw Swinson all night. It was Swinson at left tackle all night long. And uh, Riley said that between Swinson and Proctor, they feel like they've got two different guys that they can play there. They have two starters in a way. He said Swinson – oh, yeah, here we go. I, I have it in my notes. He said Swinson probably played his best game up to this point. Riley said he feels like we have two guys that they can run with. So they feel pretty confident with Swinson and Proctor. Obviously, though, Swinson has overtaken Proctor right now. But Proctor also, good for him because he's a guy that they can play multiple positions. When he did come into the game, he played left guard for Marquise Hayes. So that's where we stand now at left tackle. It seems like the offensive line set for the most part. And uh, we're still looking for uh, – Bill Biedenbo still looking for kind of, you know, he wants to be confident in seven, eight, nine guys – I would guess that he's confident right now in maybe six to seven, maybe seven. I will say, though, and I don't know how much we want to talk about this, Ian McIver, the backup center, getting once again some run with the ones kind of late in the game while Creed Humphrey sat just to get him some more reps and stuff. And from what I saw, I didn't see Ian McIver do anything. I mean, I didn't notice him, so I think that's a good thing. So I kind of like what they're doing right now. They're because you know, we always kind of thought R.J. Proctor would slide to that center role if something happened to Creed Humphrey, God help us. But maybe it's to the point where McIver, he played against South Dakota with the ones a little bit late in the game. He played against South Dakota, or I'm sorry, UCLA. Maybe it'll get to the point where Ian McIver is a guy that if, again, God help us, something happens to Creed Humphrey, that that's the player they put in there uh, at center. And so far, I, I like that he's getting all these reps and meaningful action. So, And you know yeah, what? Not- There's... There's precedent for a walk-on to come in and play well. Eric Wren was a walk-on and was just a real, real solid, good player for OU for two seasons at center. So, um, yeah, you know, I, I thought McIver looked good. And if, if he can emerge and be a, a solid backup for Creed, uh, that's really important. And I'm glad, I'm glad they're giving him some run because going into the season, we thought, oh, geez, there's just nothing there behind him. And so I think building some depth there is really important. And it probably means a little bit of something that Riley actually mentioned him by name when he was talking about the offensive line. So that means to me that Riley is making a point, and so is Bill Biedenbo, to get get that backup center some run. And he clearly prob- he probably liked what he saw from him against UCLA. Let's go to the quarterback spot, the spot that everybody's got an opinion on. And you've already talked about Jalen Hurts in your opening take a little bit. We talked about him a little bit at, at the show. Here's the question I have. At the beginning of the show, the question I have for you to continue this discussion is, Grant, did Jalen Hurts play his best game as a Sooner? Um, ooh, I'm honestly not sure. No, I think he may have been better against Houston, actually. But uh, statistically, yeah, he, he looks like he played his best game. But really, these first three games have all been pretty steady. They've all been kind of different versions of the same performance. Explosive and steady. I thought he played his best game, and aside from taking a really bad sack that ended up not counting because there was a UCLA penalty, I thought he was fantastic. I know he, I think he had the, the most incompletions he's had. He had like one kind of bad throw, but whatever, who cares about that? I thought he showed 
the let's see how should I describe this? I thought his command of the offense was the best it's been in the first three games. I thought he looked incredibly comfortable. He knew exactly what he wanted to do every single time with the football right off the bat. He took advantage of UCLA playing man coverage and they they cleared out the left side and he was like, "All right, well, I'm feeling a little bit of pressure. I'm just going to run here because you guys are in man, your backs are turned and I'm just going to go ahead and run here." So he recognized that there's a couple plays that I want to break down and I don't know if we want to get into that right now cuz CD Lamb had one touchdown catch, had one catch and it was for a touchdown. And this was more on Lincoln Riley, so I'll save that for a second. But one play that that really jumped out to me as I find it in my notes here. Hold on. There was an example on the fifth drive of the game for Oklahoma that uh, the drive where they ended up going up 27 to 7, and it was the Rambo touchdown pass. There was a play where it showed that Hertz is kind of developing the ability to use his eyes to manipulate the defense and open up a throwing lane for one of his receivers. And maybe he's done that in the first two games. I hadn't noticed it really, but there was a real obvious example. And you're going to remember the play. It was a play action, and he's looking to Lee Morris, who's pretending to block on the play. He's kind of showing, you know, you see that every once in a while from Oklahoma receiver. It's It just shows how developed these wide receivers are and how much they think through these plays. And Lee Morris is kind of showing like he's blocking. And there's a linebacker in Morris's vicinity. Hertz then looks to the middle of the field, even to his left a bit. And when Hertz turns his head, you can see that the linebacker notices that and is like, all right, well, I'm going to go ahead and, and shrug off a little bit. He looks towards the middle of the field like, hey, what's Jalen looking at over there? And kind of shifts his way towards the middle of the field. And then Hertz turns back to Lee Morris and fires the ball to Morris into a clear window. Boom. 20 yards on the play and he opened up that window because of the way he used his eyes to manipulate that linebacker I hadn't seen that yet from Jalen Hurts I love that I love seeing that stuff that you'd see Kyler Murray and Baker Mayfield do so that one play and then obviously compounded with many other plays in the game I think that was the best he's looked so far as a Sooner and to me it shows he's developing and getting more and more comfortable with his offense so I'm guessing you remember that play because it was a Lee Morris catch and he hasn't had many of them so far this year sure yeah and I, I have I have seen him man- manipulate with his eyes a little bit, uh, but no, I thought that was a good example. Um, kind of a, a throw that that stood out to me, and I'm I was disappointed. It ended up being incomplete. Was on that first drive to Grant Calcaterra because I thought that was a pretty good throw, and then the defender just made a good play on it, and that was disappointing. Yeah, and who was the defender on that play? <laughs> the linebacker I said I thought was the best player on UCLA's defense. <laughs> oh well, I mean, yeah. I'm I'm assuming that guy probably largely had a terrible night. Yeah, no. he didn't do anything after that. But yeah, no, I agree. That was a good throw. It was a nice defensive play. He threw it in a spot where only Calcaterra could catch it, but also a spot where the, the defender did make a nice play on it. But yeah, no, that's a good call. That was a good throw. So uh, yeah, I thought Hurts played really, really well. And uh, when we get into the talk about the wide receivers, I have a play I want to break down that, uh, I, you know what, I'll do it. I'll bring it back. Film time with Flea. So that's Just a do it now. Tease. Yeah. Want to do it right now? Yeah, I don't. I mean, you, you were the one who rewatched the game. My, you know, my thoughts on the offense are going to be what they're going to be for a majority of the game or majority of the games this year, which is they're really good. Only really good defenses have a prayer of stopping them. All right. So this is fun for me. I always like to break down tape and I'm not an expert when it comes to X's and O's. You can probably go on Twitter and you can find some film analysis people. Heck, obviously, a guy like Greg Cosell who covers the does the NFL. and He's awesome. He's one of my favorite guys. 
So I'm not an expert on this, but I know some basics. I kind of know a little bit. And I've educated myself over the last couple of years knowing that we have this podcast and I don't want to sound like a moron when I get on here. And so there was one play that I saw, and there's a bajillion plays, but there's this one play for sure that I, I'm 99% certain what went on in this play. And it's a touchdown pass to C.D. Lamb. So if you want to, you can pull it up on YouTube or wherever. You can, if you got it on your DVR, they even showed the all 22 on the replay, and that certainly helped me break this down. So what's going on in this play is you see Lamb just kind of waltzing through the park on one of those over routes he runs. He clears the second level behind the linebacker. And then you see Jalen Hurts just easy pitch and catch. C.D. Lamb's wide open. It's a touchdown. And we've seen this concept before from Lincoln Riley. And this is Riley taking advantage of the ball, one, being on the left hash. He goes with a two-by-two formation. And he knows UCLA, it's a somewhat aggressive defense. We saw that in that game where they played the corners up a decent amount of time, sometimes the linebackers as well. And in this particular case, even though the corners are playing up looking like press man coverage, what UCLA is doing I believe, and this is the part where I'm 99% sure, not 100%, but 99% sure, it looks like UCLA is playing quarters coverage. And this play is designed to, specific, to specifically attack quarters coverage. And if you're not familiar with what that means, think of it this way. All right, you've got two corners, you've got two safeties. Each of those players is responsible for one quarter of the field, a deep quarter of the field. And so on the field side of this play, you got Grant Calcaterra and you got Charleston Rambo. You got Calcaterra. He runs a deep over route, and you got Charleston Rambo, who runs a deep post route. So they're running to the boundary side of the field. What that does is it clears out the cornerback on that side of the field, and it clears out the safety on that side of the field because those two players, they've got to get deep, and they've got to carry those guys through their zones. Now, on this play, it clears out that field side for C.D. Lamb, who's coming over on his over route into the vacated area, and he's wide open for the touchdown. Now, if the corner, let's say the corner, uh, on this play, what the corner did that's going up against Charleston Rambo, he abandons his zone responsibility because he carries Rambo all the way through Charleston Rambo's post route. So that's why Lamb was wide open because the corner abandoned his zone for Charleston Rambo thinking, oh man, like this guy's going deep. He didn't notice anything on his side of the field. He thought that, uh, his side was clear, so I'm going to help out with Rambo over the top. That's why Lamb was wide open. Let's say the corner, though, feels that Rambo is heading into the safety zone, and he's like, oh, i got to let this guy go because I have a zone responsibility over here, and he shrugs off and sees C.D. Lamb running into that vacated area. He's like, oh, there's Lamb. that's why I, I just moved off from this, this man because C.D. Lamb's running in here. i got to take him away, and he covers up C.D. Lamb. Well, here's the thing with that play, with Grant Calcaterra running a deep over route, as, uh, uh, not as well, but a deep over route, I guess, kind of opposite of CeeDee Lamb, that gets the safety's attention, which would then leave a wide open Charleston Rambo if Jalen Hurts so chooses. It would have been a more difficult throw, a deeper throw, but an open throw and a throw that Hurts should be able to make. Overall, this is a Lincoln Riley thing, man. This is just attacking quarters coverage. It's a great play design. It's a shot play, and it resulted in a touchdown. Yep, and the one I, I saw, I saw someone, uh, someone else break that down on Twitter too. Uh, not really a breakdown, but saying that it's just, a, it's just a really, really creative play that's really difficult to defend, and really the only thing with the offense there, maybe the only downside is that it takes a long time to protect. Um, but you know, generally not a and huge Oklahoma's problem. Got the, they yeah. got the line to do that. 
and also Jalen Hurts is mobile, which also helps. Yes, yes. So that was fun. I like breaking down that play. So hope you all enjoyed that. Bring up that play too, and and, and watch it. You'll see what I mean. Kind of that play. Also, it, it's not an exact replica. But uh, there was a play that they ran in the Rose Bowl uh, with C.D. Lamb as well, where he got uh, where he kind of went to the middle of the field and then he he pretended like he was blocking and then he released to go upfield and then Baker missed him. It would have been a touchdown. Do you remember that play? Uh, yeah, it, was that in the first half? It was. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was in the second quarter. I think kind of yeah. in the <clears throat> not the exact same remember, plane, yeah. but sort of in the same vein. All right, let's kind of. Let's get it moving here with the offense. Because, again, the offense is really good. Let's just kind of touch running backs, Grant. All looked really good. But, man, I, I think Jalen Hurts, like we, we definitely under, under prognosticated his rushing this year. He's just taken all the numbers from these, these talented running backs. I, I mean, you got, uh, let's see, I mean, I think each Sermon and Brooks had seven carries each. Brooks averaged almost nine yards per carry. I think Sermon was like at seven and a half yards per carry. No touchdowns for those guys. But I mean, when they touch the ball, they're getting chunk yardage runs. So, I, I mean, they're going to be there when Oklahoma needs them. Anything on the running backs? No, I mean, they're good. The running backs are good. Um, we, we know what we have in Trey Sermon and Kennedy Brooks. I think, you know, those guys didn't put up huge numbers until Big 12 play anyway. And I think we'll, we'll probably see that going forward. And then, you know, I'm, I'm glad we saw more Ramondre Stevenson. I mean, he's, he's, a, he's an explosive player. You can tell he's just really light on his feet, and he just kind of, he sort of just glides through the hole. I'm, I'm excited to watch him, uh, watch him play the rest of the season. I agree. I agree. And then uh, as far as the wide receivers go, you mentioned Charleston Rambo. I agree. He's, he's definitely come on as that number two guy. Uh, nice to see Grant Calcaterra getting the action a little bit. Hasn't had a whole lot of runs so far. I mean, he's played a lot, but just hasn't had a lot of catches. A couple of nice grabs from him. Uh, and I mean, he's such. A, there's so many weapons on this team. I mean, it's a game when a guy like Jaden Hazelwood, I think maybe had one grab. He's not really part of the offense. I mean, Bridges, Weiss, uh, Bridges had one catch late in garbage time from I think Tanner Mordecai. It's like those guys aren't even part of the offense. And you got guys like uh, Lee Morris getting a couple catches for the first time. Explosive plays. You even had Drake Stoops. Drake Stoops, baby. Yeah, he catched a pa- not a garbage time catch. I mean, Jalen Hurts threw him a ball. He got a catch. Was that? So, I, I guess I'd need to go back and watch it. Was that, was that kind of a back shoulder? I no, I think it was a slant. Okay, I yeah, I can't, I can't exactly remember. All I all I remember is that Drake's he looked good. Like he, I mean, he looked good out there making that catch. So I mean, it's one catch, but still, I know. But it's just again, games like that. There's so much talent on the outside in that wide receiver room. It's just incredible. All the different players, all the recruiting they've done, and just the way the offense runs with Lincoln Riley again we said it before I'll say it again if you're an offensive player I don't know why you wouldn't want to go to Oklahoma uh Braden Willis almost had a touchdown catch if not for really nice defensive play by uh I didn't catch the UCLA player but that was on the, on the first drive I think yeah and on deep, on yeah on TV it looked like Willis just dropped it I know but no know. it was just slow a motion really replay. good play yeah yeah so uh all right uh, anything else on the offense I kind of want to get the three-word reviews because they're going to be fun no, I don't. I don't got anything. I thought they were good. Um, hopefully, they can uh, take the uh, take take the bye week. I want I want Eric Swenson especially maybe to heal up a little bit. Um, but really, take the bye week, get better, and we'll see what they look like against uh, against Texas Tech in a couple weeks. All right, time for three word reviews. And again, we didn't have this for the first two games. That's on us. Uh, we messed up because we brought it back for this game and. I put it out on Twitter and on the Facebook page, and man, I, we we got almost 
combined between Facebook and Twitter, we've got over 100 three-word reviews to go through. And so it's impossible to go through all of them. So what I asked Grant to do, and I did the same, just kind of go through all of them, pick out your favorite ones, and uh, we'll shout you out. And we'll, we got probably maybe about 20 of them here, and we'll try to go rapid fire. But uh, let's see, Grant, you picked out yours, and I kind of added a couple to yours as well. But I'll let you start. What are some of your favorite three-word reviews that, you've, uh, that you saw? Oh, give me one second. I got I to gotta scroll down to them. All right, I'll uh, I'll go first then, and okay, I'll go let ahead. you go. So, a couple on Twitter. So, Cali Cruise Control. That's from at David Leak on Twitter. Good one. Obviously, uh, just a nice, easy win for Oklahoma. This is an overarching one. I'm going to throw a bone to one of my coworkers at News Nine. Jed Castles does the weather in the mornings. I'm sure if a lot of you watch News Nine, you've probably seen Jed. Jed says conference looks better. Obviously, talking about the Big Twelve. Not a great night for Texas Tech. Uh, Alan Bowman was injured, and they lost to uh, Arizona. But And also, gosh, Iowa State cannot get a break against Iowa. Beat Iowa. This is ridiculous. But outside of that, the Big 12 Conference had a, a pretty good weekend, Grant. Any quick yeah. thoughts on the Big 12? Yeah, I mean, I sure. And I, and I think mostly we're talking about Kansas State when we think about that. Kansas State looks pretty impressive um, yeah. relative to what they were. Um, you know, Lee, I... I Iowa State, yeah, the the way they lost to Iowa sucks, and I, I us, me predicting them second in the comp. That's that's not correct. That's just not their offense is not good. So uh, their defense is 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 really good. They they have one of the worst offenses in the Big Twelve. They're they're gonna. I mean, that's a. I think that's a seven and five ceiling team. Man, yeah, I haven't watched them that closely. I wasn't able to watch that game that closely, but yeah, I'll have to go check out these games and really look at their offense to have comments on that. Uh, and also, I got to. Th- Give a shout out, Grant. I thought it was going to be free money betting NC State. What happened with that? West Virginia. Yeah, not sure. I mean, good for West Virginia, and also good for Kansas. You know, yeah. I I'm, beware I, of those home dogs. Sure. Those home dogs. Beware. Yeah, and, and I'm I'm not at all ready to um, to claim that the Big Twelve Conference is is better than we than we realize already, um, because you know, like I said, I, I thought I thought Iowa was a, was the better team from what I watched against Iowa State yesterday, and also uh, Texas Tech is not very good. Texas Tech might be kind of crappy, like I predicted at the beginning of the season. They lost to Arizona, by the way, by two touchdowns. Again, they lost Alan Bowman. Well, I think in the second quarter, maybe early third quarter. So they oh, Bowman got hurt. Yeah. Oh, I'd actually I did not know that actually. Yeah, I don't. I don't think he came back in the game either. So I, yeah, he he was injured in that game. So who knows what would have happened if he just stayed in? Uh, oh, also too, I didn't see any of this game. I just kind of looked at the box score every once in a while. But TCU looked like they throttled Purdue. TCU smoked Purdue. Uh, to be fair, Purdue was playing their backup quarterback. Oh, okay. Um, and yeah, Purdue just could not move the ball. TCU has the best defense in the conference. All right. So that was the quick interlude to the Big Twelve play. Back to the three word reviews. More from Twitter. This is from at underscore Trevor Hughes underscore. His three word review: Start Jaden Davis. I, you know. I'm not going to argue with you there. I mean, it, there's going to be a rotation because Trey Brown and Parnell Motley hasn't, haven't done anything to not warrant playing time. But, yeah, Jaden Davis, certainly impressive so far. Uh, stadium not full. That's from at Greenroyd454. And did you get any final numbers or stats on OU fans, the UCLA fans at that game, Grant? No, I just saw, that the, I just saw that the attendance was like 55,000 or something like that. Which I mean seems right. That means there'd be about thirty thousand empty seats, and so I think that's probably correct for for what I saw on TV. And honestly, the crowd looked half and half to me. All right, so yeah, we might have been a little wrong on 
on our prediction of actually not a whole lot of not as many OU fans as people are saying will be there. I we got a lot of three word reviews. I'll just reference it, kind of talking about the way Oklahoma traveled and the way the crowd was there and just the Sooner faithful. So good on uh good on OU fans for going out to LA and going to the Rose Bowl and back in Oklahoma. And I know Lincoln Riley had a lot of really nice things to say about the Sooners after his press uh, after the game as well during his press conference. From at T Bowman eighty eight on Twitter, defense backups improving, and that's a that's a huge one. We talked about that earlier in the show about how Alex Grinch is playing a ton of twos and even threes on the depth chart, getting a lot of players some snaps, some meaningful snaps. So uh, at T Bowman eighty eight, we certainly agree with what you saw. This one's about Jalen Hurts at DK Ray three Pete Heisman, and man. Jalen Hurts is certainly making a case, Grant, and it's going to be tough, I think, for voters to want to vote another Oklahoma quarterback, Heisman, but so far through three weeks, I mean, it's maybe between him and Tua, uh, would you say? I mean, yeah, Tua's, Tua's been real, real good so far, and yeah, I'd say in third right now, it's got to be Joe Burrow, right? Oh, Joe Burrow, yeah. Yeah, and also and he's, uh, had, he's had the most impressive performance. So I think Burrow might Justin based on Fields that, yeah. is is up there too. Justin just, Fields is playing. If you want to well, look yeah. at numbers, but uh, man, yeah, Ohio State might be real, real good. But also, they haven't played anybody, so we'll see. But they're doing exactly what it needs to do. They're dominating people, and they were only favored by sixteen over Indiana, and they just curb stomped the Hoosiers. And I, you know what? Ryan Day, Ohio State fans are, put it this way, Ohio State right now looks like the first year of Lincoln Riley at Oklahoma, but with a defense. Like, that's kind of a scary team. That's working really well so far, and and Justin Fields has exceeded my expectations. I thought he was going to be kind of so-so. He looks pretty good. His accuracy here and there kind of wanes, but for the most part, he's pretty good. Yeah, it was, uh, yeah, I mean, after after yesterday's games, it's it's basically, I, I, probably overthought it too much in the Big Ten. Uh, I picked Michigan State to win the conference just kind of on a flyer. And, of course, they lost at the last second to Arizona State yesterday. And uh, Ohio State is the clear favorite in that conference. Gosh, yeah. Penn State is is, uh, is is just is only above average. They struggled to beat Pitt yesterday. We know the struggles that Michigan has had. Uh, Wisconsin man, hasn't. I hate the Big Ten, man. Yeah. I hate that conference. Wisconsin hasn't played anybody, but they've been dominant. They play Michigan next week. We'll be, uh, but right now, I mean, Ohio State is the clear class of that conference. Yeah, and me picking Michigan to make the playoff—that horrible. That's not going to happen. Michigan's—I mean, relative to the expectation, expectations, they stink. Uh, and one last thing on the Big Ten, I, I tweeted this out uh, after I think Oklahoma's first touchdown when Jalen Hurts had 99 yards rushing, imagine a Michigan State fan watching Oklahoma's offense. <laughs> yeah, like, Michigan seriously. State, like, what a joke. I mean, they cannot, Arizona State's not known for defense. They're not known for having a good defense. And they had one touchdown and didn't score until the second half. What, and they're at home. They were favored by 14 points and scored, what, seven? To Penn be State fair, was favored by 17 and scored 17 total. To be fair, their defense was was their strength last season, Arizona State, and they returned like everybody. So was it their strength? Yeah, yeah. Arizona State has a they I'm not gonna say their defense is like really good or anything, but it's but it's solid and solid defenses can shut down Michigan huh. State very apparently. I mean it was a low scoring game last year in Tempe when Arizona State beat him there. And uh, but it wasn't that low scoring. Anyway, so let's get back to the three word reviews. From at PC five four 
they're not satisfied. And I wanted to include that one just because that's kind of the theme of this team. We talked about it a little bit earlier. Taking steps, it's never good enough, and that's the Jalen Hurts factor, I think. He knows what it's like to be on a team like Alabama that dominates people and wins national championships. Oklahoma's not satisfied. A couple more from Twitter from me. At Sooner Scorpio, this is a good one. Stick to basketball. <laughs> Obviously referencing UCLA. Not great at football right now. Not great at basketball either, I don't think. Eh, yeah, it could be, could be better. Stick to the uh, Olympic sports. They're really good at those. And I have two more, but I want to save it for the end. So, Grant, I'll turn it over to you. What have... What are some of your favorite ones? All right. And so when I when it comes to three-word reviews for, for me, I sure do like puns. So just if, if, if you come up with something that's really punny, I'm all for it. So uh, Jalen Hurts Bruins. I like that one quite a bit. That comes from at uh, SoonerDEW on Twitter, or it could be SoonerDo. I'm not sure. Um, let's see here. This, this one is very, very near and dear to my heart <laughs> because it's because I'm going to have to deal with it on, on two upcoming weekends here this fall. But it's just ban fall weddings. Man, I could not agree more uh, on that. That's at Smart Sooner on Twitter, showing that, yes, you are a smart Sooner. Because fall weddings. Sorry, go ahead. Fall fall weddings absolutely should be banned. They are terrible. I have a wedding to go to OU Texas weekend. Not cool. Uh, Oh, wow. That is is terrible. I love love that one because it has nothing to do with the game. It's just a a comment on. On fall wedding, that's great. I'm uh, assuming Smart Sooner probably had to go to a wedding yesterday. Yeah. I'm sorry, yeah. man. I'm really sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry, too. I, obviously, you mean this for football fans, because obviously those who don't give a crap about football can do fall weddings all they want. But actually, you know what? I take that back, because even if you don't care about football and you're getting married, chances are people you're inviting to the wedding do care about football, and you're inviting them to a fall wedding, and they're missing out on maybe their favorite team's game. And a whole, it's Yeah, I, it is very inconsiderate to have a fall wedding and you're married you got married right before fall uh in late august during that was intentional stuff, whatever oh yeah definitely intentional i am unmarried i don't know if i'll ever get married but i will say if i ever do get married my one thing to my future wife will be listen we ain't getting married in the fall you can do whatever whatever you want i don't care because it's your day it's more on you but it's not going to happen between the months of september and I don't know December or whatever January. I, it's it's got to be anywhere uh, around that time. All right. So continue with your three word reviews. Keep taking steps. That was from Kevin Graham on Twitter. That's just something I agree with. They are just keep taking those small steps. Let's see what they look like at the end of the year. Also referencing something that Jalen Hurts always says like ten times in every single one of his media availabilities. Bruins in ruins from Jimmy Branch on Twitter. Gotta love those puns. I like that was it. Good. Mm-hmm. That's a good one. Ooh, here's another really good pun from Trey Kirkpatrick on Facebook. Sooner defense brewing. I like that. All right, because that's yeah, really they're, good. They're brewing up a little bit. Okay, great. Um, this and one, I, I I actually added the the rest of these for you, but because I thought Trey had some other good ones. He did. Yeah, I guess I I, I didn't realize that it was Trey who uh, who did all these. But this next one's from Trey. This is certainly all oh, these next two are a are a reference to the Rose Bowl a year and a half ago. No squib needed. <laughs> and uh, better than Georgia. Do you think? Do you think he's talking? Do you think he's saying that we're better than Georgia now, or he's saying, yeah, that experience was a lot better than the Georgia game? I think, like any good wordsmith, he's leaving it up to interpretation. It's whatever you think he means. That's uh, a good point. I I would say I think he. I think I'm going to guess he's referencing 
better than the Georgia Rose Bowl game based on the no squib needed because he already had that. So he's already referencing that game. Yeah, I think that's correct. So I'm going to go with that. But hey, he could mean better than Georgia in general. And there was also a, a three word review that I didn't include because I, I didn't know it was it was very um, ambitious but it was I can't I apologize to whoever put this in. I can't remember who it was, but it was something along the lines of better than Alabama. Which I guess if you're going to look at the point spread and covering, uh Oklahoma covered and Bama didn't cover. So maybe based on that, yeah, but I'm not sure if Oklahoma's better than Alabama right now. All right, okay, gotta, continue. Okay, uh this one's from Chase Johnson on Facebook. Safeties need work. Yes, Chase, you mm-hmm. are correct. They most certainly do. Mm-hmm. Um, and then this one's also uh, this one's from Caleb Lance on Facebook. This one's Kick- for you, Grant. Yeah, kicker gains confidence. You're right. I'm sure two makes by Callum Sutherland will give him a little confidence. However, don't ever kick field goals. <laughs> All and right. Then, uh, and yeah, then again go, from go, Caleb Lance at the yeah. end, he says, "Welcome back, Grant." Is that a is that a reference to all of the picks that I nailed this week? I'm not sure. Oh, see, I, I was gonna ask you what like what is he referencing? I gotta think it's that because I I I really did nail the uh, my big one of the week. The one I was really proud of was uh, was Temple over Maryland. Maryland's not that good. Everyone needs to calm down. They go on the road for the first time and they lose. They they piss down their leg and they lose. So just calm down, everyone on Maryland. Um, And then also the the one that I really like was was BYU over USC. I just. It was hard for me to envision USC coming in and, and winning that game on the road. They almost did, but uh, um, no, yeah, that, that, that USC team's still not very well coached, and that's probably the reason they lost the game. Yeah, I was on the opposite side of, of all – well, actually, no, I was on Temple too, but uh, I watched that USC-Stanford game, and I was really impressed with their quarterback and that offense – and everyone was on BYU this week, and I just I did the thing where I was like, you know what, I, I'm going to go the other way. And, I, and I, again, it was close. It went to overtime, and USC had had its chances, but uh, but no, I was wrong. And then I got to give you credit, you absolutely nailed the UCF Stanford game. I mean, Stanford is truly terrible. Yeah, and, and I and I almost and yeah, and I think this early in the season, not to like compare scores or anything like that, uh, but. Yeah, in retrospect, USC, ta- you know, taking Stanford to the woodshed is not that impressive. Stanford's not good. So everyone just kind of, I mean, the as, as September plays out, everyone just needs to kind of calm down a little bit. Um, I, I thought the one game where we learned a lot and kind of took me by surprise uh, was Kansas State. Kansas State's clearly a better team than Mississippi State. And um, I, I was not expecting that at all from, from Chris Kleiman's group. And... Um, yeah, so I mean, what what, Man, what else can I say about are that? You, if you're a K State fan right now, I mean, K State fans change. hated that hire. They hated that hire because oh, they were really? insane. Oh my! They hated it. I never heard that. Yeah. Wow. Or at least you know, I, and I you know, social media I suppose is not a great a great representation of the of the general body politic. But uh, I mean, that was yeah, a great, Kansas State great Twitter hire. certainly hated that hire, which was which was unbelievably insane. Yeah. One of the best hires of the offseason by far. Yeah, and we're not just saying this now. I mean, both of us, when it happened, I mean, we were both all praising it. And again, like, we're from Minnesota. We have maybe a little bit more of a connection to to climbing in North Dakota State than maybe a lot of people that listen to this podcast that are maybe from Oklahoma or the the, you know, the southern type part of the country. But I mean, he's a guy that 
all he does is win, and I get that. You know, everybody wins at North Dakota State because he took over from for somebody else. I can't remember his name. Who's at Wyoming now? I Craig think. Bull. And Craig Craig Bull. Yeah, and he won all the time too. And climbing, so it's like, oh, you know, people just win at North Dakota, uh, North Dakota State. But it's all about the culture. Like Kleiman goes into a game like Kansas State, and all that guy knows is, is winning. And he's like, yeah, we're not going to lose to Kansas State. Like, and clearly, you look at that the players, and they just have bought in totally. That offense looks way better. The defense looks better. They should have beaten Mississippi State by three touchdowns. I mean, they gave them the football like three different times, just stupid things. I mean, it was sloppy, and they still beat them by a touchdown on the road. Kansas State, incredibly impressive performance. Uh, yeah, have- that uh, that road trip to uh, to Manhattan kind of looking a little more daunting than it did in the preseason, huh? Well, did I uh, did I have that as my trap game? Uh, I think I might have. It might not be a trap anymore because I think Kansas State. If they keep playing well, they no one's gonna overlook them. Oh, the first year of this podcast where I did not, uh, I my my trap game did not materialize because last season I said it was at Texas Tech and certainly did uh, appear to be a trap game when it when it was played. And then the year before Baylor, but mm-hmm. so I'm glad I, I'm glad I missed it. I'm glad UCLA did not turn out to be a trap game. All right, we have two more three word reviews, and then we'll get out of here. And this is kind of in reference. This will kind of go along with. Uh, Trey Kirkpatrick from Facebook's uh, comments on the Rose Bowl from a couple years ago. But this is from at NFL owner GBP. Should have been Georgia. Oh, man. Yeah. Should have been a W over Georgia a couple years ago. I would have been great. So that one was kind of, kind of, uh, eh. And then the last one, I just, I had to put this at the end because this is just funny. This is from at uh, Himrall33. And he says, fire Clay Helton. <laughs> Don't worry. He will be. He will Clay, be. Clay Helton just getting thrown under the bus for no reason on uh, OU-UCLA three-word review. All right, Grant. So uh, that's it. That's all I have. You got anything else? Or should we get out of here? We can get out of here. Um, going into the bye week. This sucks. I hate bye weeks. So here's what we're going to do this week. Let's have a little mini production meeting. Let's just do our regular midweek show because Oklahoma is having some availability on Monday I'm not sure if they're going to do anything on Tuesday if OU doesn't do anything on Tuesday let's record the pod on Tuesday this week and maybe we'll get it out by Wednesday Uh, and then you know I don't know if we're going to have a I think maybe we should take off the next one since Oklahoma doesn't have a game I just to give us a little bit of a break is that I mean yeah we're not going to do a we're not going to do a post game pod next week there's no no post, right. and then on, um, and then for the midweek show, we can recap college football as a whole from the week before, and then and then preview Texas Tech. Actually, you know, maybe yeah, let's plan on doing it Tuesday either way, because that way I'll be able to record it on my off day, and uh, I won't be pressed at work. So, uh, if you're listening this long to the podcast, you might get the midweek show a day early this week, and I know we gave it to you a day late, so I guess it'll it'll uh, all even out in the end. So, uh. All right. Any final thoughts, Grant? No, we're good. All right. Well, that's all for us today. We'll be back in a few days to talk about college football and whatever else we learn from OU as they head into the bye week. Until then, for Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest.